Okay. Good morning. I'm going to introduce Phil. Phil, uh, Phil is our speaker this morning. Uh, Phil Richardson. And Phil came, I don't know the years, but probably about 15, 17, 18. Where? About 18 years ago, um, obviously I'm from this community and I would have seen Phil around looking real cool as a new romantic. Do you remember those days? And uh, Phil, Phil was a great dancer up in James' Street um, um, disco. And, uh, you know, but wouldn't have known him. And um, I'd, I've obviously be, I obviously became a believer in the area about 30 years ago and Phil would have heard of me. And then one day I got a phone call and we met and that was really it. Phil, Phil is a... Uh, He's a full-on guy, do you know what I mean? When he's in, he's in. And if anyone knows him, like that consistency, that he gives it, it's all, he's all, whatever it is. And, and knowing him for the last nearly 20 years, life has not been easy. Life has been ups and downs and ins and outs. But he has not only stayed true to who he is, he has stayed true to his recovery principles, and he has stayed true to Jesus Christ, who he gave his life to. And I am delighted to w welcome Phil, first of all, to, to invite him to come and speak in our church. This is not the first time, but just to, to have him speak and share his story. And I know you're going to be blessed in there. Let's give it up for Phil Richardson. Get organized here. <laughs> Listen, oh, I just want to welcome everybody. All the people from, you know, NA? NA in the house, yeah? Ooh. Listen, you just have my heart in that place. I know I was away for a while, but like what Noel said, I'm fully committed to there again in every way, shape, or form. And um, the Lord brought me back there. It's an amazing program, and I just love people in recovery. Um, so thanks for the support. It means a lot. But also, God has you here. Let's look beyond the man, and let's look at what we're doing here today. Stuff is going to happen here today, I promise you. I'm telling you, stuff is going to happen in your life today. And you're going to look back and you're going to say, a spark happened there today. Um, and that's what we want. You don't, Philip Richardson is just like everybody else. He's a man. I have a story. Only, the only reason I have a story is because God gave me a story. Through Jesus Christ. He is the only way. But I have to say this. N.A. I was way into recovery before I came to the church. I was way in. I was eight years, I was eight years free when I came here. And I, I, I'm from the area. I'm a local lad, a Liberty lad, and um, I'll just get into this story because I just feel it's important that I share it. I'll keep an eye on the time. I'm from a family of ten. Six sisters, three brothers. I'm the only addict. Mum and dad, my father was a very, very hard-working man. But he was emotionally incarcerated. He could not connect with his kids. He was stifled. Because he got stifled from his own father. And he had absolutely no freedom. So my dad dealt with you in what way? If you did what you were supposed to do, you were good. If you didn't do what you were supposed to do, scorched earth would come on your life. 
And he thought that was the way to parent. Um, so at a very young age, I was a happy young lad. But he used to work in the film business and he used to make a ton of money. Now I'm talking about in the 70s. And he was doing that since the 60s. Or He, he was an incredible earner. And I remember walking through the... He was after being out on the drink. And I remember walking through the living room one morning. I think it was six or seven. And his trousers had fallen off the chair. And I just looked in his... And it was just like a wad like that. And there was a load of change. Now, I'd never stolen anything in my life up to that point. But a voice came into my head. I said, take that. You won't miss it. I was like... And a battle started literally then and there. This was the beginning of my addiction. So straight away, I put my hand in, took a little money out of it, walked away. No big deal. I didn't go, ran down, ran down the shop as you do, loads of sweets, stuff, coma. <laughs> Went back to the house. And you know, in our house, it was either a feast or it was a famine. My dad wasn't good with money. So the way they worked it, they had a system. If he, if he earned a lot of money back then, my mum had 10 kids. So think about it, 10 kids. So he would give her, say, three quarters or... Yeah, and then he would spend the rest on himself. So that was the way they lived. Um, so I took money. I was back there the next day. I took a pound. Back there two days later, took a fiver. Back there at the end of the week, took a tenner. Now I'm talking tenors back then. It was nearly like somebody would probably work for a tenner. Went in one day, took 20. It was like that's nearly somebody's wages. I couldn't stop. That was the beginning of addiction. He caught me. Talk about scorched dirt. And I had, he grabbed all my brothers and sisters. Marched them all out into the living room. Now, this is the most important part of my story. So they're all there. He marched me out, stood me there, and he tore me to sunder in front of them, right? Now, I get what he was trying to do. I don't hold that against him. I love him deeply. But at that time, the way I interpreted that was, I'm not loved here. I don't belong here. I want our here as a young fella. So straight away, what happened then is I became self-reliant. And when you become self-reliant as a kid, you're taking on the responsibility of creating your own life into your own hands. And with that self-reliance, a voice came into my head and said, you don't need him. You don't want him. And you'll be all right. So what happens after that? In order to get your needs met, you have to go to other people. So I went to the streets. I became a full-time thief. I'd go to the Dandelion Market, pickpocketing, down Grafton Street, creeping all the shops, you know, just full on. I mean, I'm not lying when I say this to you. When I was 15, I was wearing Armani. I was so involved at such a young age with criminality. It was incredible. Ask people that knew me back then. I was. It was just, I had to have something 
that filled that hurt that I was rejected from in my family, so I thought. So the, the thing that you would go for more than anything is outside things. The guys I hung around me, they were serious people. And what they would do with me was they'd bring me and a couple of my mates, and if you, were, if you could make money, you were in. If you couldn't make money, there was no need for you. You know, I remember one time, I'll just give you an idea of what I'm talking about. I remember me and a guy, we were walking over Baggett Street Bridge one day. I have to tell the parts of me that I, you have to hear, and I know some people, Christian people, but listen, this is reality. This is what the devil does. We're not glorifying Satan, but we have to say what was going on there. I remember walking over Baggett Street Bridge, and I remember me and my friend, and he says, I'll go in here. He comes out with the, the whole takings out of the shop. The next day we go over that bridge. He did the same with somewhere else. And the next day he, could do the, he did the same with somewhere else. So by the time I was 16, I was so accustomed to having anything that I wanted, I just took. I was addicted. You know, you sometimes wonder, oh, why do people go to prison? There's the classic story. You get addicted to stealing. It's a stronghold. The enemy takes hold of you. You don't have a decision. You can't even make up your own mind. So when drugs comes along, throw it into the mix. My first drug, I was, it was a man around here. He's dead now. He got shot dead there a couple, few years ago. But he was, I was his runner as a young fella. So what he would do with me was, when he was going to collect drugs, he'd say, Philip, you go over. He'd hand me the parcel then. I'd walk ahead of him. And I'd get it from one place to another. So I was in his stables one day and he says to me, do you want some of this? And I was only into making money. And my older brothers had said, if you ever go on that, I'll break you up. They did. They, were, they saw the devastation in this area in the 80s. It was horrific. So he says, here you can smoke. I always thought you had to inject it, you know. Um, but he says, no, look, I'm smoking it. He says, just have, have a smoke. I put some on the foil. He ran it for me. Got a hit off it. That was it. I was addicted. I was up at a stable the next day knocking on the door. Let me in there. I was up the day after. That was when I was 14, 15. I started banging up shortly after. And I just my life just went crazy then. My family were devastated. But you know everybody, when you... When the drugs take hold and your heart is hurting and there's wounds deep down, people wonder, why can't you stop? Because you cannot stop. It's, ne it's nearly impossible for a person who's under the hand of darkness, who's under the hand of strongholds, they can't stop of their own free will. Seven times I was in a hospital. Seven. I got shipped off to Kilmoyne in 1986. It was either that I got to prison for a few years. I had a circuit court charge and I, I wasn't able for prison. I was only young and I didn't want to go. So I took the easier, softer route, so I thought. But I don't know if anybody was in Kilmoyne in the 80s. 
Oh man. If if they were doing what you were doing back then now, they'd be taken out in handcuffs. It was absolutely madness what was going on down there. They had not got a brace. They had some things right, but the abuse that went on was horrific. But I stayed, I stayed 13 months. And I left there. <laughs> give you a laugh. You know when you go to court with Kilmine, they send the judge a letter, you know. Your escort will go to court with you. The judge gets a letter. Johnny's doing great. Any chance of sentencing him to us so we can hold on to him for another year or two? Um, but the judge didn't read the letter that day. He just says, you know what? You're doing so well. Struck out. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just went back, packed my bags, and says, I see us all now. I was gone. I got home. I went to America then, um, my father was over there contracting and he didn't want me around the Liberty, so they sent me to America. And I caused mayhem over there. Mayhem. Working away, saved a load of money. Doing really, really well. But you know, the addiction never leaves. No matter, no matter how good your job is, no matter how beautiful your girlfriend is, no matter how beautiful your house is, no matter how beautiful your car is or your bank balance is, once this has a hook in you, you're not getting out without the hand of God. The hand of God is the only thing that will take somebody from that dark place and set his feet on a rock. I didn't know God at that time. So I came back to Ireland. And as soon as I was off the plane, I was after being over there. Loads of charges. You wouldn't think about 62 previous convictions. Somebody's saying, you're not very good, were you? <laughs> but you know what all of them were for? Being in a cell, strung out to ribbons, and a copper coming in and saying, you done that, didn't you? You're getting bail. You done that, you did that, you're getting bail. And you do that. You sell your soul to get back out to get another hit. I'm not ashamed of it. That's the way it is. I've done, I done horrific things in my addiction. And, I, and, I, and I, you know what? It's who I am. But what makes it more powerful is I found the one that could forgive me. Do you know, Romans tells us, the book of Romans, listen to this now. Therefore, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I came to the end of myself, I was living in the States. Now, I mean, I had a relapse of all relapses. I lost everything. I ended up all in a crack house. Waking up, they all legged it. You know, the usual, they left you for dead, robbed you. Um, left you with nothing, took my passport, took everything. But they didn't know I had a few bank drafts stashed on me. 
So I still had a few grand left, but I, I went through it within a matter of weeks. Gone. Walking the streets. Couldn't come back here because the police were waiting on me because I had loads of outstanding charges. Ended up in Florida in any way. Walking the streets down there. Lost everything. Family blanked me. Girlfriend, gone. Um, lost job. Not The first time in my life that not one person wanted anything to do with me. No more enablers. No more people rescuing me. Having to face yourself for the damage that you've done and the damage that you will continue to do. I remember walking down the street in Winter Park in Florida and saying, is this the end for me now? I was 25, 24, 25, and I saw a sign on a door, and it said, just counseling. I said, something said to me, get in there. I walked in, I said, I need to see somebody. I just didn't know what was going on. The woman looked at me. She says, come in here. She says, what's wrong? I poured my heart out to her. Like, all the hurt, all the pain. I sobbed like a baby. I can't stop this way of life. How do you get out of it? What's going on? I don't want to be doing what I'm doing. You know, the book of Romans tells us that when... When you're doing what you don't want to be doing, that's what the Bible calls your sinful nature. It's normal. It's normal for a lot of people for that nature to go on like that because the Bible tells us. So the woman says to me, I can't help you. I says, what? She says, I can't. You're too far gone, she said. She says, I'm in recovery myself. She says, there's a meeting. Go to that meeting. Tell them people that what's going on in your life. And I promise you, they won't let you down. So I walked into this meeting in a rough neighborhood in um, Orlando. It's called the Greenhouse. There was 21 meetings a week, three a day. And I went there. And I went to my first meeting in recovery. Praise God. And... On my way, this was the key for my whole recovery right here. I'm going to explain it to you. On the way to my meeting, the voice came back into my head. What are you doing that for? What are you going there for? I can't, they won't help you. It's another thing. It's not going to work. But for the first time ever, another voice arose on the scene. Don't listen to that. You can do it. Why don't you give this a shot? And give it everything that you have. And see what manifests from it. For the first time ever, I chose, I went against that darkness inside me. And I chose a positive instead of a negative. I went to the meeting. Oh, it was hard. Every fiber of my being wanted to take it, wanted to get heroin. I just, I just wanted the, the compulsion and the, the screaming in the mind. But there was just something sustaining me. After that day of making that decision, the next day just got a smidgen easier. And the next day, so one day it just says, I'm going to make my life here. 
You know, there's a day in recovery where you take the first step. You admit that you're powerless over your addiction. What are you saying there? I can't do it. I need something. And that your life becomes unmanageable. You only do that step when you're absolutely in the gutter. When you're absolutely, whatever your gutter is, that's the only time you'll do that step. Because as I was speaking to Joe Rafferty there the other night, the only time a human being will call on God is when there's nothing else available. We are created through being separated from God to be independent in everything in our lives. We think we have the source of all knowledge and all information. I just want to tell you here today, no you don't. No you don't. That's a lie, believing that. That type of mindset, I'm the strength, I can do it all. I'm telling you, you will end up empty and you will end up down more and more dead alleys. You will come to the place where you realize that of yourself, you are nothing. And that day came for me and I admitted that. And I says, and then I went into AA. And listen, in the meetings there, man, it was, there, was, there was loads of Christians. And they were onto me like a shot. And they said, okay, and they supported me. And they were just the most beautiful people. And they started, and they saw something in me. And I just, I went home to my room. One of them said to me, Philip, please, start to pray now. What else have you got? I said, I've nothing. He says, go home. Get on your knees. Pray. I went home, I tried it, nothing. But I got, I got into a bit of consistency. After about two weeks, I felt something come into my stomach. It was different. It was like, oh, what's that? It was just like a, a tinge of power was starting to come now. Prayed harder. I hadn't got a clue. Now listen, don't look at me. Uh, were they big theological prayers? No, they were. My life's on the line prayer prayers, and if I don't get out of this, I'm dead. They're the type of prayers I'm talking about. Psalms 107. I don't know whether you've ever prayed any of them prayers, have you? The ones that your life's on the line, and if you don't get them out there, God cannot and will not release you from an addiction until you get to those type of prayers. He will not. Whatever it is about getting set free from God, unless you go to that place where you say, I'm coming to you now. I'm coming to you with everything that I have. But I cannot do this on my own. Can you intervene? And you know what? Two weeks later, and I woke up and I says, for the first time in my life, I felt, do you know what? I just might be able to do this. Woke up. Three weeks. Start getting up, looking forward to the prayer. Going to the meetings. But one day happened, and I want you to hear this. I don't share it with many people, but I'm going to share it here today. Six weeks, walked into my bedroom. As I walked in, I just felt there was a power in the room like I'd never, ever, ever experienced. It was like God was waiting on me now. I walked in, and I fell on my face. The power was just so overcoming. I couldn't, I just fell on my face. It was like there was holiness in the room that I'd never ever experienced. And I walked in and I was like, oh my goodness, I can't move. What's going on here? And you know, the Bible says when you, you can feel God in, in love, but also there's a time 
where you can feel his glory and his majesty and how powerful he is. I couldn't stand. I was on my face. I couldn't move for about two hours. I got into bed and I woke up the next morning and I want you to hear this. Remember now I'd been praying, banging away, prayer, prayer, prayer. Going to my meetings. Never missed one meeting. And at six weeks, I woke up one day. Compulsion gone. Cigarettes gone. I know this sounds crazy, but my whole tongue even just changed. I stopped cussing and the filthy tongue. I just wanted... I just wanted to be close to God. I went back to the meeting, told them. He says, well done. He says, you're right on track. You know, they didn't try to badger me. or I wouldn't have, took, I wouldn't have put up with that in any way. But just the power that I'd experienced. I met my sponsor, Wayne, then. And he was an amazing guy. And... I was starting to get restored to sanity as the big book tells us. I hadn't become a believer at this time, but God was on the move. You know, I didn't become a believer in Christ straight away. I, I, it, was, it, it, took, it took a long journey for me, even as a Christian. And when I was restored to sanity, it was a gradual process, but it was a process that was powerful. And, you know, came to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity. When that started to happen for me, I said, this has gone beyond it now. I started to feel peace for the first time in my life. I says, I found it. I says, I don't have to go looking anywhere else now. I tried all the women, tried all the drugs, tried all the money, tried all the cars, they left me empty. This was the first thing ever I felt a little bit of I was really happy ever since I was the first time as that little boy when he was six. And just fast forward so I got to I got my first sponsor. His name was Wayne. And he was an incredible man. And he says to me, I've been looking at you. He says, I want to take you through the twelve steps. I said, Roy, please do. I'm ready. He says, brilliant. He says, you've already got the first one. We won't worry about that. He says, I believe you have the second one. He says, well, we want you to do the third one with me. Will you do it? And I says, what was that? And he says, well, we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God, over to his care. And he said, now, I'm going to read. He took out the book and we went through it. And he says, now, don't do this step. If you're not going to give me a life now, don't do it. Don't give it lip service. He says, I won't do it with you unless... So I want you to think about it. I says, I'll do it. I says, I wasn't going to let go of what I had experienced. I wanted to build on it. So he says, Roy, I'm going to meet you. He met me in a place called, I don't know if anybody knows Orlando, a popke. There was a Methodist church there. I wasn't expecting that. And I was like, oh, church, what's this? New to all this. He says, this is what we're going to do, he says. He says, I want you to come into the church with me. 
I want you to go up to the front with me. We're going to get down on our knees. We're going to pray a prayer. And I want you to give God your life. Will you do it with me? I says, I will. Sweating I was. (laughs) Sweating in a good way. Because I was like, can anything build on how good what what has happened to me? So he, he was at the altar like this and right across the front and I came up and I got down on my knees and I said, God, I offer my life to you to build with me, to do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of self so that I may better do your will. And I forget the other words in it. But I know, I go up off the floor, I walk, we talked, I walked out of that church, my life is never the same again. A power came into my life that was just incredible. You see, I just want to say this to some people here today. God's not into religion. And I need to say this to some Christians as well. God's not into religion. He's into brokenness. He's come to save the the lost and the broken. He knows you're broken, friend. He knows you're using and you can't stop. He knows you're desperate at home. He knows your situation. He wants to help you. He's not a religious God. He's not an angry God. He took all his anger out on Jesus on the cross. Jesus was judged for every sin of mankind. Jesus has paid the price. You don't have to pay the price. The price, the price has already been paid. Listen to me, friend. It's, he's not an angry God. He loves you. He loves you. Remember the story in the Bible where it says the prostitute and those religious fanatics dragged her out and threw her at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is, is God. And Jesus he showed us how God is walking this earth. And Jesus said to them, he says, Who are you to be judging all? How perfect is your life? Every one of them looked at Jesus. He knew he was speak- they knew he was speaking the truth. Can I say to you here today, nobody can judge you. Nobody can judge you. God is a God of love. And he's a God that wants to set you free today. He wants to release that thing, that lie that's been spoken over your life. Don't listen to it. So we're doing that third step. What was he saying? What was the other thing that Jesus said to that woman? I love you. I don't condemn you. He also said, I don't agree with what you're doing, but I'm not judging you. And he says, don't do it again. She got up, touched by God. See, there's one thing judging a person. But if you're judging a person that doesn't know God, that's insanity. Because they're in the natural habitat of sin. That's why I, I worry with some people when Christians are talking. Some Christians do us a disservice as Christians. They go on like fanatics, some of them. They forget about the love of God. They forget about the compassion of God. 
They go around preaching holier than there, one better than you. Listen, if somebody is coming across like that to them, how could you respond to that? We're looking for a, a loving God, a forgiving God, a God that wants to empower you and set you free. It's hard enough being out there and then having some so-called Christian coming up and telling you how you should live your life. Listen, you can't change yourself in your own power. The first step of recovery tells us that the Bible tells us we're slaves to it. We're slaves to sin. Sin is self-will, self-will in recovery, and sin, they're the same word, but they just have a different name. Do you understand what I'm saying? They cannot be defeated by man's power. You need a rescuer to come out of that. It's impossible to come out by yourself. Listen, when, you, when this thing has a hold of you, that darkness, how many times have you said to yourself, I'm giving it up? Only for the next day to be doing the exact same thing. Why? Because you don't have the power. It's not there. We're, we're not born with the power. This is not behavior modification. We need a supernatural transformation. And that can only come through the Lord. God is so gracious, listen to me, that he even sets you free. And even if you don't know. I'll say that again. God is so gracious. He was so gracious to me, he set me free, even though I didn't know. Because God knows the heart. And I can't emphasize this enough. I hate religion. Jesus hated religion. We've got brothers and sisters, my Christian brothers and sisters, we've got to stay in a spirit of love. We can't be judging people. If they're not living up to your standards. That's insanity. We need to be loving people. What's and all. We need to be loving people. What's and all. Jesus was walking with the sinners all the time. He modeled that to us. He was so good. So loving. So, just for, in my own life... Oh, this is my 26th year free. I say this in humility. I say I've literally helped thousands along that journey. Now, not because I'm great, because God is great. You know, you saw the type of person I was before I came to God. I described them to you. Hopeless, helpless, and... Just chronically in love with himself. But God can do anything with a broken life. And today, Roy, this is what I want to do. God is moving today. Phil Swan hit the nail on the head when he talked about, this is like a reunion for some. Now, watch me what I'm doing here. I'm walking a line, right? Across this altar. Right? That's the line of fate. Okay? There's a line there now. 
God has activated it in the spirit. Okay? You come up here. First and foremost, is there anybody here? Is there anyone that wants to know Jesus Christ? Now let me just share a little bit about him and then respond. When I was in recovery, I always, I, I had a God of no name. I didn't know who he was. But I was fascinated by Jesus Christ. Because if you come into your recovery and you've lived a life like I have, somewhere deep inside you, you're saying, You know deep down that there's a justice has to, something has to pay the price for the way you lived. I knew that I wasn't a fool. And no matter how good I thought I was, and well, I helped so many in recovery, and I done this, and even in recovery I start getting religious because I was trying to earn God's love. Listen, you don't have to earn God's love. God loves you, period. We don't have to be goody two shoes even in recovery. God loves you, period. You are loved. And the greatest sign of love that I've ever seen in my existence is the cross of Jesus Christ. And why is it? Because picture a, picture a courthouse. Philip Richardson walking into court. I have the jacket on him anyway. <laughs> so I'm walking into court. I'm standing in front of the judge. Now hear me out. If you get this, God will set you free. I'm standing in front of the judge. He looks at me. He says, Philip, now I say this in, I've literally stolen from thousands of people. I've destroyed umpteen lives. The only thing I didn't do was probably kill somebody. Any other sin, I'd say it was on me. I, had, I led a horrible existence before I became a believer and before I got into recovery. I did. I can't deny it. So I'm standing in front of the judge and the judge says to me, are you guilty or not, not guilty for that? And I'm saying, I'm guilty, Your Honor. Now I'm looking for mercy. You know? Now I'm looking for mercy. All right, he says, Philip. He says, I'm a, I love you, the judge says, but I'm also God of justice. Somebody has to pay the price for that. Because if I was to let that go, I wouldn't be a just God. So he says, you're guilty, and the sentence that I'm pronouncing on you is... You, that sin cannot come into heaven. So you're guilty, but he says, the judge gets down off his chair, comes down in front of me, stands in front of me, now he says, you're guilty, now I'm going to pay the price for your sins, because I love you so much. He walks out of court, he picks up a cross, he walks to Calvary Hill, and he pays the punishment for every bit of sin that I've ever done. The day I did that, 
was the greatest day. That combined with my recovery, it's just brought me to another level. For a soul to know that the sins are forgiven, it is incredible. I cannot emphasize that enough today. So that's what I'm saying. There's a line of faith here. Who's going to do the third step with me? Who wants to have every one of their sins washed away today? Who wants to stand up here with me now and do the third step in front of everybody and say, Jesus, I know I'm guilty. I give you this life. Come on. Who wants to do that? If you want to do that, come down here now. And come down here now. Don't miss your opportunity. Stand there. Stand there. Turn around the other way. All right. If you can form a line over here, the other way. Turn around, yep. All right. Okay. Listen. Let's pray. Start praying for these people now. Biggest decision of their lives, I'm telling you. If this takes hold in their lives, they'll never, ever, ever be the same again. Amen? Wow. So listen to me. Listen to me, brothers. It's absolutely huge. This means, from this day on, Jesus Christ is going to forgive every sin. But listen to me. There's a responsibility on your part. And the responsibility is, when his Holy Spirit activates you, which he will, you're going to feel a power coming into your, into your life. And when he does that, he will direct your life. He will guide your path. He will show you which moves to make. He will give you the power to overcome sin. He will give you the power to overcome brokenness. Yeah? So, when I pray... Pray with me. Actually, right, move up further. Wayne, come on up here. It's great. Anybody here a believer that was a believer that fell away from the Lord but needs to be uh, reconnected with the Lord? Come up here. Anybody that fell away from God that needs to be reconnected with God? Get up here now. Don't miss your opportunity. Okay? Right, so... This is supernatural now. Okay. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Now listen. Is there anybody who wants to come up with that? Just feel something's holding you to the chair. I'll stand with you, whoever you are. I don't want to miss anybody here now. Brilliant. Listen, I just want to say, amazing. And um, I'm going to pray. Pray with me. Actually, do you know what? I have an idea. Who's brave enough with me? Who will do it like I did it with me, sponsor, and get on your knees with me? All right, turn around. We'll face the altar. Come on, on Neil Riches. Right, when I pray, pray with me. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus Christ. I am a sinner. I come to you now for your mercy and your grace. You died on the cross for me for my sins so that I wouldn't have to pay the price for my sin. 
Thank you for dying for me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for resurrecting for me, Lord Jesus. I now accept your gift of salvation. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse me with your blood. And lead me for the rest of my days. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I receive this gift now. Amen.